Hello, I'm Jerry Lynch, and this is the Bare Naked Leaders Podcast. Real leaders, real stories, um, where I'll be interviewing various authentic leaders in New Zealand to understand their journeys, um, also their struggles, their doubts, their mistakes, and leaders that have inspired them along the way. My journey's taken me from Cadbury to Mars, from engineering to marketing to CEO, and from the UK to New Zealand. And I've always been fascinated about what makes a great leader. I've made mistakes along the way, I've learned from them, I've shown vulnerability to my people and that's not always been easy. Um, I've even cried in front of them. Um, I've had imposter syndrome and still do on occasions and I thought I was alone. Um, And the more leaders I talk to, the more I find that this is fairly common. So that's normal in leadership. Uh, I've also worked for some great leaders that have really inspired me and uh, I've also worked for some not so great leaders. uh, leadership is not a formula, you know, it's, uh, it's something that's unique to every single one of you. Uh, your leadership will look different to mine and will look different to your leaders. And uh, the key is to find the bits that resonate with you from, from great leaders that you've had and also from poor leaders to ensure the bits that, that you don't like, that you leave them out of your toolbox. So if you're an up-and-coming leader or a current leader or even aspire to be a leader in the future, there'll be some great insights and some great stories to entertain and uh, uh, for you to enjoy along the way. Um, And hopefully there'll be something useful for you in your future leadership journey. So join me to hear real stories from some of New Zealand's real leaders. So good afternoon to, I've got Shane Anselmi here from Overland Shoes, who, uh, who built the business and built a very successful business. And I've uh, bumped into Shane many times at the uh, best workplaces. Um, if Mars didn't win it, then Overland usually won it. So uh, we were rivals in that sense uh, for, for many years. I've really, really um, loved talking to uh, Shane over the years, a really engaging, authentic leader. So, uh, so welcome, Shane. Thank you. Thanks. Jerry, it's a, it, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here and talking to you. That's great. So, so one thing I'd, I'd love to hear, and um, you know, you've built a really successful business in New Zealand and you know, overseas. Um, I'd love to hear your journey about you know, how you started mm. um, in the business and what struggles you've had along the way. Sure. Um, probably if I go, go back, um, I'm the, uh, the son of a, quite a successful entrepreneur who um, was the son of an Italian immigrant. So I'll start with the, the Anselmi family. Um, my grandfather, amazing old, old guy, he was born in 1895, died in 1996, so he was 101 years old wow. when, when he, he finally passed. Travelled the world, he had to leave Italy with his brothers. Uh, his father was a, a bit of a, uh, a, a gambler and lost the family farm so he my grandfather ended up in England then out in Australia married an Australian wife and ultimately ended up in New Zealand and became a very successful farmer we he, he had six six children and my dad was the uh, second to youngest of those six children um, as I saying very successful and um, the family got into shoes quite by accident um, my grandfather again doing pretty well he lent a guy in the king country where they settled uh, some money to buy three open three shoe stores this is back in the 40s mm. um, 
and ultimately these, this guy couldn't pay him back. So my grandfather inherited King Country Shoes in Otronga, King Country Shoes in Tikwiri in, in Tamanui. Okay. Uh, and each one of the six children uh, had to go, uh, if they weren't working on the farm, um, each one of them had to go running those stalls. My dad, being second to youngest, when it was his turn, uh, his turn he f decided he really didn't want to work for his old man on the farm. He was a hell of a taskmaster. Uh, loved the footwear industry, so my dad ended up um, ultimately buying those three shoe small shoe stores off his father, my, my grandfather, um, and that's how the family got into shoes and, and my father got into shoes. Um, dad, we, we, I was born in Tikawiri, uh, one of five children, so, uh, and that's where we were based. Uh, my dad had the, uh, the shoe store in Tikawiri. He opened some discount shoe stores, uh, this was back in the 70s and 80s, called Shoe Town. Um, it was one of the first discount models, he, as well as a factory that he opened in, in Tikawiri called Fabia. So this uh, sort of small two or three shoe stores grew to, um, I think, seven or eight discount stores, uh, a reasonably big factory. Um, and, uh, you know, me uh, sort of growing up with these five siblings, seeing quite a successful father, uh, it really made me quite interested in... Um, in, in business, but my journey to start with, uh, I loved being out on the f my, f my uncle's farm. So all the uh, all the rest of the family were farmers. Uh, the other three brothers and I just loved spending my holidays out there. So off the back of that, I ended up going to Massey, doing an agriculture degree. I uh, really wanted to, you know, have that lifestyle. Two two years into that degree, I kind of. Uh, got a bit disillusioned with uh, agriculture and I realised everything seemed to be out of your control. Uh, you're at the mercy of commodity prices, the weather and exchange rates. So mm. um, the entrepreneurial spirit really started calling and uh, that's when I decided, I, just like my dad, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. So um, I borrowed some old unused machinery that my dad had in his warehouse in Tikwiri and opened my own small plant making sheepskin footwear uh, down in a little factory down down on Palmerston North. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I was 19 or 20 at that stage, set myself a goal to be, and it was all about you know goals for me, set myself to a goal to be worth a certain amount of money by the time I was 25 and just started working like hell to achieve that. Um, and so I grew this small manufacturing business to 60-odd people, uh, opened four stores myself. In fact, I was in competition to my father for a while, so I wasn't allowed in his factory uh, because his competitors, his customers really didn't like, saw me as a competitor. Um, not being content with that, I um, developed an industrial park, so I got into property development, development and also opened two restaurants with partners. Uh, and all, all this at a sort of quite a young age with a lot of energy and sort of a fair bit of chutzpah but um, uh, uh, in sort of marketing now but, uh, and a fair amount of debt as well. Uh, ultimately what happened uh, in the 87 share market crash uh, happened. Uh, I ended up losing the biggest tenant in the, in the industrial park. Um, business sort of caved in a little bit and I uh, end up losing all of the businesses that, that, that I had. 
Um, my wife-to-be, who I'd met at that stage, she was pregnant and had to sell my house and uh, move in with my in-laws. Uh, so that was very, very sobering at the age of 25. But I look back on those years and think this is probably one of the best things that could have happened to me. I, I had wisdom beyond my years. I'd done things most people my age hadn't done um, and set myself a, a goal that if I get involved, and I was determined to get involved in business going forward, it would be built on a foundation of uh, good process and uh, and a real focus on people. And, right. uh, and so, what brought you to that realization? Probably having fallen flat on my on my face, and you know, setting goals and believing I could achieve them without investing the foundations that I needed to. Right. You know, rebuilding really good processes and the various organisations that I had, and really focusing on people. It yeah. you know, was, was kind of much more. Uh, I guess just a, a raw sort of energy and uh, uh, and based on you know, simple marketing ideas rather than building that foundation. So yeah. it was good. Um, at that stage, my dad's eight or nine uh, discount footwear businesses, they'd been run by someone external. He was Teakwitty based at the factory and these businesses, uh, fact, sorry, stores were mainly in Auckland. They weren't going very terribly well. He asked me if I could get involved in in that business. So I moved my then young family to Auckland, uh, this was in 88. Went for a quick trip to the States looking for ideas and came back uh, having seen quite a few uh, concepts over there with the realisation that trying to sell discount shoes out of high rent malls wasn't going to work and that's when I uh, came up with the Overland, Overland concept and we opened our first Overland uh, footwear store in 277 in 1990 um, and we've grown it ever since so I think it might have been a three or four million dollar business when I got involved back in 88 um, and it seemed like we sort of doubled in size every every five or six years so we're growing it uh, from uh, four million to eight million to 16 to 32 then uh, more recently over over 64 million and um, and, and again it was just a, a journey overland the concept worked well we closed the shoe towns down opened more overland stores um, and everything seemed to be going on quite a quite a good path um, and you know, it's really interesting with business, you have growth and then the wheels tend to seem to fall off and you, you consolidate and uh, uh, do more things and uh, keep growing and then the wheels seem to fall off and this is, you know, I'm a big believer in that S-curve in life mm. and, and in business and, you know, the typical S-curve is you come up with an idea or uh, the idea seems to, seems to work, you, you generally grow a little bit, bring people along and uh, and there's, you go through a growth stage and then there's a bit of a maturity stage and unless you, at that stage, you change, uh, reinvest ideas and innovation and try things and bring new people on board, uh, the ultimate part of the S-curve is you start going down the other side and so many businesses are like that. Mm. And you know, I look at our journey over the years and we've gone through this S-curve quite a few times, you know, mm. five or six years and even, even more recently. So it was 97, I think, um, we're uh, at least double, uh, we might have been 10 or $12 million business things. The Asian crisis happened, uh, uh, things started going down and, and I looked around the world, um, remembered my vow, really good processes, good people. Um, we've got a great training system out of the States, put that in place. 
uh, invested in more senior people uh, and the business carried on growing again. Um, but probably a, a real turning point for me came in 2003 um, with regarding the business we are now and especially our focus on people and engaging people. And in 2003, uh, my bank at that stage, the BNZ, recommended that um, I uh, do a, a course called uh, Ice House, um, the owner-manager course at the Ice House. And the Ice House is an offshoot of the Auckland um, business school at the, Auckland, at the university there. Um, and going along to this course, it was over uh, five months, uh, three days a week, uh, every five months, I joined, I joined 20 other business, business owners. Um, and lots of sort of people came through giving us their thoughts on the best way to run business and I could tick lots of boxes. We, uh, we had a, a really uh, good governance, we had um, a real results orientated um, focused selling system, we had a board, we had uh, you know, pretty good systems in place. But one guy really intrigued me, a sort of a guy who came uh, through and uh, he was an a a HR specialist. And up until that stage, I you know, often thought HR was just sort of soft, fluffy stuff. I thought it was more about process. But um, he talked about taking a health check on your organisation um, using 360s. Um, and I was quite intrigued by that. We didn't have HR at that stage. I employed the guy just to do a project, do some 360s. And uh, um, we were about a quarter of the size we are now. Uh, and what came back kind of disturbed me a little bit. While they, our people loved the energy in, in, in the place, um, there wasn't uh, a huge amount of joy um, in some, some sort of areas. So off the back of that, um, I decided, OK, I need a very good HR manager. Um, uh, started searching and employed an extraordinary uh, North American woman, uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle Stonehouse. And Michelle came and joined us, so this is probably 2004. Um, and the first thing that she did when she uh, joined me was talk to me about business and about people and, and said the most important thing we need to do is try and um, find our values, identify values, and the best way to do it is talk to our people. What, what do you think uh, you know, value should be? She explained to me that values in a business are all about how we treat each other and how we treat our customers, so the, the behaviours that, that, that you want. So we kind of worked through that, sent out, you know, identified 40 to 50 odd uh, values, behaviours that we wanted, asked our people to come back and we netted it down to the six that we have now. Um, uh, and these six have been with us. Well, there was one change, but they've been with us uh, just just all, all, uh, over the years. Um, but what we did, and I think this focus on values was really the start of our journey in becoming a best a best workplace. Um, um, but what we did back then uh, was quite unlike what most other organisations do. So many organisations will come up with their values put the list on a wall, stick them in a drawer somewhere, somewhere and probably forget about them. And what we do is we resource uh, every week um, uh, celebrating our values and we ask everyone in the business, we've done it for the last 16 years, to nominate a peer um, if you see your, your workmate demonstrating a value. So Jerry, if you and I were in a store 
and uh, you decided to drop a pair of shoes off to a customer on your way home. They might have been, uh, you know, in the general mm. direction. I might nominate Jerry for proactivity. It's one of our values, and write in a sentence or two just what you did. Mm. Um, and we collect these nominations uh, every week. They go into our eight, ten to twelve-page newsletter, and in that newsletter, is, you know, all sorts of results. Uh, but Believe it or not, we get between 100 to 130 values nominations each each and every week. Wow. Uh, these That's great. Great, great little stories, um, and uh, you know, just living the values like that and celebrating people who are doing that—that's really brought that whole, I guess, focus on values and looking after your peers, uh, behaving in a certain way. That's you know, part of our language now. Gosh, that was so accountable of you. Thank you. Or thanks for being inclusive. Um, you're showing amazing in integrity there, and you know inspiration is one of our values. So, um, and you know these words are just part of the language mm. that we use. We use here now. So m many companies do the employee of the month, but mm. they, you know, some of the criticisms I've heard of, they the leadership choose the person sure. and they don't really know the person yes. and they make yeah. wrong choices. So people feel, you know, not recognised or you know, not appreciated because yes. a they don't. They don't, re as you said, there. You you know every you wrote know every nomination. Yes, sure. And they were published. People yeah. Love whereas yeah. companies just note the winner. So the yeah. people who are actually nominated yeah. don't actually get mentioned. Sure. So, yeah. And I think you know it's part of part of the appreciation is actually just to be nominated is, yes. yeah. is recognition. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Great. So and 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 the wonderful thing, right from starting that process, as I was saying, we've been either a finalist or. Um, have one or second or third in the uh, what was you know the, the best workplace competition uh, ever since. So it was either Conexa, or then IBM Best Workplaces, or even more recently X18 and X19. Yeah, we won, won both of those. We've won New Zealand's Best Workplace three or four times, and we've been a finalist for you know, every mm. one of those years. So. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and it's lovely to hear the journey. Mm. There's a lot of similarities. My my parents were from farms in Ireland yes. and um, you know um, it was obviously my dad took a diff different direction went to went to England but um, sure. but it's, uh, it's it's really interesting coming from those roots but when, yeah. when you when you look back and you, you you look back at some maybe when you were younger and doubts you'd mm -hmm. had sure. as, as a young leader what what were some of those things going through your you, your body, I suppose, yeah, not through your mind. But. Yeah, um, I, I guess all sorts of things. Uh, certainly, you know, that, um, again, being full of confidence as a, as a young young guy deciding, okay, they want to be a farmer and getting into business and lots of energy. But, you know, there were, there were stuff ups and failures and ultimately that, that you know, big failure where I lost, lost everything. Uh, I think uh, the, the learnings are I've always, uh, I guess, filled my mind up with, uh, I guess biographies and um, of people who have been successful, and uh, you know the common theme is uh, you've got to fail, fail your way to succeed. And uh, the more that you fall flat on your face, so long as you, you don't try not to make the same mistake twice, they're all important lessons in that journey that that, that were wrong. Um, and you know that was probably a big one. But as I was saying, you know we've that S curve is very much alive and. Uh, Failure is just one of the great, one of the gifts, the greatest gifts in life, because it tells you that what you're putting out is not working at the moment. So, 
it's a you know, sure sign and signal that you need to change course and, and try something new and something we talk about a lot here with our people and, and, yeah. and talk about a, a lot with uh, um, uh, senior, senior leadership, yes, certainly all of our people. Yeah. Something that we do a lot here is we have quarterly leadership conferences and you know, with the 60 odd, well, 55 to 60 um, profit centres we've got, which are you know, all of our, our stores, um, we fly everyone together, well not so much recently, but uh, we have quarterly leadership conferences and that's always over two days. And, um, you know, I just love spending time with our, our leaders and talking about, I guess, the journey they're on, but the philosophy, you know, this philosophy that, um, and the big philosophy, I, you know, I believe that you know, life is not easy. easy. Um, um, I'm a big, 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 big believer in story and the power of story. Um, big believer in emotional connection. Uh, mm. People make buying decisions based on emotion. And one of the best ways to uh, be successful is get an emotional connection with your customers and also with, with your people. Mm. And one of the best, best ways to get emotional connection is through story and, and, and mm. the power of story. Um, and you know, we started this talk with me, me telling you my, my story and, uh, and um, something that we, we use a lot. And, if you look at story, uh, we all love you know great books or those those movies. Mm. Uh, there's certain factors uh, present in, in, in story, and you know, I've studied it more studied it more than most, I think. And we love story because it's hardwired in us. If you go back 10, 20,000 years, um, um, before the written word, uh, and uh, say. Out, out in the wilderness somewhere and grandpa ate berries from a bush o over there and died. So suddenly a sto story is told uh, about they ate berries from that bush, you know, this is what happened to grand grandpa or great grandpa and, and so that, that mythology, you know, those stories go down and, and any time we're hearing a story, uh, it's uh, our ears prick up. Uh, but the story is only interesting um, if certain things are, are, are present and generally it's got to be about a character, a person, time and a place. There's absolutely got to be challenge, difficulties, mm. things to overcome, uh, turning point and, 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 and a resolution. And so if you ever sort of see a movie where there's no conflict or challenge or read a book, it's just not at all interesting. So, mm. um, but, um, and uh, Joseph Campbell, um, you know, amazing, amazing guy, um, he's, studied the hero's journey, he sort of brought the hero's journey, journey, um, you know, brought it to the world. Um, you go back to the, you know, the great directors, George Lucas, before he penned Star Wars, he spent time with Joseph Campbell and, and really studied the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is all about an unlikely character, an unlikely sort of person called to do something that they're probably not comfortable to do, but they end up taking this journey and they come across, you know, difficulties, challenges, conflict, um, ultimately, after lots of battles, there's a turning point in, in, in resolution. And you know, I tell my kids, I tell our people that this is what life is like. And believe you're living your own hero's journey. So you know, I certainly do that. And I tell everyone I, I, I get a chance to have this conversation with. If you believe you're living your own hero's journey, you are the hero in your own movie. Um, it allows you to suck up the difficulties and the challenges and the, and, and, and the tough stuff. Um, and as you do that, you learn, you adjust course, you get more resilient, more capable, and, um, and, and, and you grow, and growth is, is 
it's all about uh, you know, embracing the difficulty in life, embracing the challenges. So the more that we do that, the more, you know, the more, the more joy ultimately that we end up in life, the more successful we are. Yeah, I totally, um, I can relate to that. I, um, I put my leadership team through a storytelling course, uh, something that Mars, Mars did yes. globally. And one of the exercises we had to do, um, which I got everyone to do in front of all of the staff, was tell people their oh shit moment, mm, sure. which was a mistake they'd made in their career. Yes. And it was yeah. quite, it was an interesting way to do it. And, and it, as you say, when you hear that from a leader, you hear their story yes. and you hear where they'd made a mistake yeah. and what they'd learned from that. Yeah. It, what it did, it did a couple of things. One, it, it brought leaders down to, you know, to be accessible to people because yes. they, they, so they sometimes put you on a pedestal to yeah. say, they don't see your mistakes. Yeah, they just yeah, see yeah. that you've got to this high position and I can't do that. Mm. Whereas what this did is that it said, oh, they, mm. they do the same thing I do. They, yes. they make the same mistakes. So, so I can be like them. Sure. So it was, it was a good way of actually practicing storytelling yes. and also showing vulnerability as well to, Fantastic. to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I was going to say, I'm a, you know, into that, um, I'm such a... Um, uh, oh, a huge bibliophile, you know, was reading and uh, one of the, you know, be beautiful books I came across was written by a guy called Marshall Goldsmith, uh, which is uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Um, and boards all around the world um, bring in Marshall Goldsmith to sort out rogue CEOs and, and so on. And um, Marshall was saying every leader or every person in the world, there's up to 20 faults we all have. And, uh, you know, you know, there's four or five things that we do uh, that we uh, sort of tend to do over and over. And the best thing a leader can do is understand what their faults are and mm. share that with everyone. And, yeah. you know, mine are um, uh, the, 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 the need to be right, well, sorry, has been in the past. I'm very conscious of it, you know, that need, that need to be right. Um, adding too much value. You know, if I get into a meeting, I've been around a long time. Um, sitting around with a lot of often young, you know, a lot of young leaders, I just need to learn to shut the hell up <laughs> at times and let them, you know, come up with solutions and focus on things. Be, uh, uh, you know, because often I'll know the answer, but it doesn't help people grow if you mm. do that. Another one for me is not listening. You know, we all see the world a certain way, and uh, you know, I certainly have my view, my my frame, or my lens of the world, and. Put another one that I'm very conscious of is the need to justify my quirks, or that's number, <laughs> number 20. And for me, that comes out in often being late. And you know, I justify being late for meetings or whatever. In that, you know, I can just get one more thing done before I leave. Mm. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're late for a, a meeting or, or a commitment, you're disrespecting the other people. You're wasting their time, and so there's just no excuse. So, yeah. the more that you share those things, okay, guys, here's the 20. I do it with my senior leaders team. Here's the 20 things. These are the three or four things I do. Help me stop them, and I'm, I'll try and be conscious of it. And that's really showing a lot of vulnerability, and mm. people, people appreciate that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's not many leaders that do that because no, yeah. I think a lot of leaders are driven by ego and they want to mm. cover up those things. Sure. They, you know, they want to look good. Um, you know, I, I, there's a number of things there that you know, I'm, I'm like you. I, yes. I, Think, oh, I've just it takes me half an hour to get there on Google Maps, so yes, I yeah. can leave at uh, you know 29 minutes past yes, and, yeah. and not take account of the fact that oh, Google Maps isn't yeah, always yeah, right, yeah. you know. And um, that's right, it takes me five minutes to get to the door, you know. But um, you know, I think the 
showing vulnerability, I think, is t to me is one of the differentiators in a mm. really good leader mm. to yeah. versus an average leader. Mm. You talked about some of the biographies you've read and mm. people. Uh, who, along your journey, was an inspirational leader to you? Um, probably, uh, and you know, I have so many, so many books that I continually, continually go back to. More recently, um, I'm such a fan of, of Ray, Ray Dalio, uh, um, and he's written a book called Principles. Um, and uh, Ray is the founder of uh, uh, the biggest hedge fund in the world, uh, Bridge, Bridgewater, and he has created a culture in Bridgewater uh, called a DDO, being a de deliberately developmental organisation. And it's something we pri try and pride ourselves on doing as well. And if you work for a DDO, it's all about growing, so you expect it to grow if you, if you work for a deliberately developmental organisation. And you know, as we meant, I just mentioned, our main growth in life comes when we open, our, open ourselves up to difficulties, often tough to take feedback, you know, feedback that's tough to take and so on, so that's, that's part of it. And Ray, has, he's just an extraordinary guy. He's written a book called uh, principles and these about the principles that he uses in this organization uh, and it's really about growing being open to feedback learning how to have um, how to uh, be comfortable with conflict um, certainly no place for e ego in any sort of organization um, mm. and you know that that's a big one for me if I go go back um, a book that really transformed our business and the way I think is uh, by a guy called Richard Koch K-O-C-H called the 80-20 principle. Um, and the 80-20 principle says that 20% of anything will give you 80% of, of, of a result. And you know, for us, 20% of the styles we put out in our stores will give us 80% of our turnover. Uh, mm. but the trouble is we don't know which 20% it is. Um, the 80-20 principle, 20% uh, of our stores will give us 80% of our our profit, 20% of our suppliers will, you know, provide us with product that gives us 80%. And that principle holds true right, you know, look, I'm looking down the carpet, we're sitting on 20% of this carpet gets 80% uh, of the wear. Mm. You think in your wardrobe, 20% of your wardrobe gets 80% of the wear, then this mm. principle just holds true again and again mm. and again. Mm. And if you apply that and very, very conscious of that, 20% that you're getting results from, you can double up and, and grow that area in your life. And, mm. and, and therefore, you know, okay, another 20%, let's try and make that 40% and get 160% of the re results we used to get. So mm. that's a, it's been a, a really profound one for me. Um, and that sounds similar you know, in terms of priority. So yes. You, yes. Yeah, yeah, so you're, you're focusing on, you're making choices essentially. Yeah. You know, it's, it is all about priorities, yeah. yeah. So yeah. What are the, the big things one of the most precious resources we have in life is, is, uh, is, is time. So yeah. we do those high value activities. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so um, tell me about, if, if you could go back mm. to your 20s sure. yeah. and give yourself some advice, give your younger mm. self some advice, what would it, what would it be? Probably the, the big thing for me, um, and you know, I talk about uh, Ray, da Ray Dalio, and you mentioned it before, ego. Um, I think ego is one of the most dangerous um, uh, thing, th thing, things in the world, and um, ego has created more misery and suffering in the world than anything else. I mean, you know, you go back to 
look at all the throughout the 20th century the the, the autocrats or uh, autocratic leaders uh, with big egos from Marx to Lenin to Hitler to Pol Pot. Um, Trump. Yeah, just it, <laughs> look, I agree. It just goes on and on. And egotistical auto, autocrats, um, they just won't be told it's their their way. Uh, and so much misery and death yeah. has been created from it. And so going back to me, if more than anything, uh, drop the ego. You know, if, 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 don't be be egotistical. Um, you know, the gifts in life are, are, are to be curious, always be learning. Uh, but if someone's giving you feedback, that feedback is a gift. And even though feedback is often very difficult to take, and you, know, you go back to those those ten thousand years, taking feedback uh, and that what you're putting out could be wrong. You know, go back uh, all of that, those years; it could have been life threatening if, if you're wrong. Not so much anymore. Mm. And feedback, uh, and being open to the feedback, being open to other people's points of view is uh, is how we grow. And mm. uh, you know, so really, that would be my message to myself. I, I, I go back, you know, all of all of those years back to my twenty-year-old self. It's <laughs> great. Thanks. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Shane. I could talk to you for hours more. Um, you know, I'm really, I've been impressed by your journey. I love, I love the story and I really relate to storytelling. Um, there's actually a company I, a company called Anecdote, who I, who trained us, uh, they're based out of Australia, who do um, online storytelling I courses. Know them, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and you know, I, I think you, you're a really inspiring leader. You, you've created, you. you know, an amazing um, business in New Zealand, and hopefully, your children and your children's children will ca carry on the, uh, you know, Italian mm -hmm. shoe jeans mm -hmm. uh, throughout New Zealand. But uh, yeah, it's, and it's been lovely to talk to you, and uh, I really appreciate it. So thank it's you been, very much. It's been a real pleasure, Jerry. No, nice, nice to catch up again. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.